This is Lee Shackelford, creator of Relativity, and if you've been listening to these last few episodes, you know that while we're in pre-production for this next season, I've been interviewing fellow podcasters and, wherever possible, fellow creators of audio fiction. And uh, this time, it's my tremendous pleasure to be talking to Katie Radel, whose last name I know how to pronounce because there's an announcer (laughs) who says it in every episode. She's the scriptwriter and co-creator of Tendril the Banshee Chronicles, which used to be incredibly cool. And then they did a little shout out to Relativity, which made them even more cool. <laughs> Much cooler Much with Relativity. Cooler. You're now, you're in now into con- a new zone. Well, now Relativity has been adopted into Tendril canon. <laughs> yes, you, you messaged me that and I said, that's true. We now, <laughs> we now exist in the Tendril universe, whether we like yes. it or not. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, but Katie, uh, on that show, she voices uh, Switch and several other characters. So, yeah. Um, anyway, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's so it's so so much fun to talk to you and to to hear your voice without a, an exotic filter on it. So <laughs> you as well, minus minus the exotic filter. It's a little bit surreal hearing you know you've been talking to me in my car now for a That's couple right. of months, but. <laughs> I now, was we're talking, act, now I'm actually talking back. So. There you are. I did a little video chat with uh, Shannon Perry, of course, of uh, Oz9, mm-hmm. uh, about something unrelated the other day. And she kept calling me Chris in the conversation, <laughs> which you know, I, I take that as a huge compliment. <laughs> she, can't, she now can't untangle the two things in her oh mind. Oh, my gosh, but, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, she's not Olivia. Anyway, neither are you Switch. I am not Switch, although uh, I, I guess I could be a little bit like Switch. I aspire to be like Switch. <laughs> oh, in what way? For 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 people who are fans of Tendril well, and know what the hell we're talking about, <laughs> she's just really badass. Well, yeah, <laughs> just the gunslinging type. I I love that. I love that type of of woman in science fiction. She she has all the all the tools. Oh and yeah. You know, yeah, yeah I, I get it a couple of times where I'll even be writing her and Ryan will bring the script to me and be like, you made her a little bit too powerful. And I'm like, oh, come on. She's a robot. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, no, we really have to tone it down. There's like no tension in the scene. I'm well, like, that's oh, it. fine. Yeah, there, there is always <laughs> the Superman problem. You, you've got to come up with kryptonite or. Yeah. Yeah, yeah switch so. just becomes the solution to all problems. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She, she's the sonic screwdriver. Yeah, that's probably oh, a better. Yeah, that's <laughs> a better. You know, it's it's funny you mention that because it won't be long until we have a very a prominent parody of that particular IP. I so, see. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you've, you've already pretty transparently uh, introduced Pokemon into the, the Tendril <laughs> universe as well. So yes. <laughs> anyway. um, so so obviously, for people listening to this, uh, uh, we're going to talk about relativity and we're going to talk about Tendril. So I think we'll get some good back and forth. But because we may talk about things that have happened fairly recently in either of those timelines. I'm going to go ahead and sound my trademark relativity spoiler warning. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. And there it is. And I'll mention again 
that I uh, am going to offer some kind of a prize. I think I said an autographed oh, copy did. of all the scripts. Yes. Or, uh, it, it, maybe that's not the prize people want, but uh, <laughs> for for the first person, and, and I've heard several wrong guesses so far about who who's saying um, spoilers in that. And and after I said that, um, I realized that there actually is a synthesized voice that sounds female in it. So people were guessing River Song, oh. who does famously say spoilers but it's it's not that is the scent it's the male voice who is a real person a real human being and that's who i'm asking about the guy who is saying spoilers can anybody identify that voice anyway it's a tough one this is super excited to find it out i was i was listening to that to the episode yesterday and i was like oh i need to figure it out i get very competitive about that type of thing (laughs) Well, all of us who who feel the need to uh, sound spoiler warnings on our shows, I think we need other media voices, recognizable media voices, saying the word spoilers. And it's <laughs> after after you've got River Song and the Doctor saying it, um, <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, huh. Maybe they said it at some point on Futurama, and that would work really I'm well. I'm sure they must have on one of those many like fourth wall breaking shows yes. there's got to be something well it, it, when i listen to tendril i i think uh, about futurama a lot and i, I and I, I mean that as a compliment oh i'm glad <laughs> okay good because i there is a lot of overlap but i also really admire the the way tendril can t- turn on a dime and get very serious oh yeah uh, um, I, I'm really, the, there's an arc, I feel like. The, the, the characters are growing emotionally as we've yeah. been going along. And and uh, and I'm really enjoying that. Um, and that's that's not something that you're you're making light of. Um, right, yeah. We, we actually based the, I, I have a history in writing. My degree is in writing. And um, we really love, like Ryan and I both really love, Uh, stories that have that comedic levity but really bring strong stories and characters to the table so I'm really glad that's coming across it certainly is and uh when you said Ryan just now I realized you and I were talking before I started recording you you should uh, make sure everybody knows who Ryan is and and tell the story of how you met because I think that's great yeah uh yeah Ryan is my co-creator co-producer co-writer of Tendril um and he's my fiance and I he he and I met doing voice acting online we actually auditioned for each other's projects (laughs) so and that was how we met So now we're, yeah, this is our first project that we're like doing officially like together and producing together. Um, So it's really exciting. Uh, So you were calling yourself co-creators. Did you, are you, are you writing everything together or? Yeah. So um, the the way we do it is kind of like a, I I often feel like our team is a many armed beast because. Sure. we actually are basing the entire story off of a tabletop campaign we did with my two younger siblings. And so we're sort of like making fun of how we played that tabletop game <laughs> as, <laughs> at the at the same time that we're uh, trying to craft a coherent story and characters. Um, so we credit all four of us as creators because we want the little ones to still have copyright 
um, ownership of this if they grow up and decide they want to do something with it. And I, for us, so our process is um, basically most of the time I'll write a script or sometimes we sit next to each other and write the script. Um, and then I bring it to Ryan and he and I toss it back and forth and read it out loud several times until we're happy with like the flow of it and how everything goes. And then I, uh, we send it out to our voice actors and everything is done remotely. So we have like a, a very collaborative experience <laughs> and it's, I actually wanted to ask you about, um, your writing process. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you write every day or how do you how do you go about it? I, I do try to write every day. And um, years and years ago, I remember reading about uh, Ray Bradbury's trick of uh, stopping his writing for the day in the middle of a sentence. And ever since I read oh, that, yes. I've, I, I've done the same thing. because I think that's that's just that's ingenious. Yeah, and, uh, I actually do that too. Yeah, <laughs> it's isn't a that really, great? Really good technique. Yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you you certainly aren't searching for what you're going to do when you come back to it. You, you know right where you were, and you. So it's it's brilliant. Um, but um, and, and I, for better or for worse, I am I have been creating this in kind of a vacuum. But I, I made up this big long story, and I've been writing every word of it. And I send it out to actors who record their lines. And uh, there's a few people that I record with here um, in, in, my, in my hometown here. We, we communicate largely through Dropbox. And I pull all the stuff together. And I do all of the, the mixing and um, the sound effect searching and, and all of those things. And, yeah, the only time people that there's other hands who come to the writing process for me is when somebody points out that I've flatly contradicted myself and that we should probably, <laughs> you know, yeah, let's change that line because, yeah, we just said exactly the opposite, you know, in previous episode. <laughs> that, so I'm glad when people are being vigilant like that. But, but otherwise, yeah. no, I'm just really going it alone. And um, it, it's a special relationship skill to be able to, to share work like that. So that's, uh, I'm glad it hasn't broken you up yet. You haven't. <laughs> I won't say there hasn't been fights over like single script lines. Of course. <laughs> but that's what I would expect. I, I mean, I feel like it, it's all part of the process. You know, it's, it is. And yeah. <laughs> and all of us as writers who have worked with directors or other actors or whatever, we, we know that. Uh, there's a time to stand your ground and a time to say, wow, that what you just said, that is a much better idea. And, yes. Uh, I love the fact that we're now going to take your idea and it's still going to have my name on it. So, yeah, you, you got to be open to other people's ideas. You, you just. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We, we actually we have a few voice actors who are very open with us about saying like, hey, are you sure you want me to, to do like are you sure that my character is at this emotional place right now? And we're like, just go with it. <laughs> just yeah. go with it. Trust He's not us. feeling good about the thing. <laughs> like, but it's, I'm, I'm glad that they're able to speak up because I, I definitely like to encourage that sort of thing. I, yeah. I like it being collaborative and I like it when people call you on your crap. So. <laughs> so that sounds like you are not only being the writer, but you're also directing. Um, so we, <laughs> I don't know how you would define directing because we do everything remotely. So all yeah. of our voice actors are all over the country. Right. Um, so we often ask, like, send us two to three takes of every single line 
Um, and, you know, if we, we do have the occasional, like, none of the takes were correct. And it's like, mm-hmm. hey, sure. Try to do it a, a little bit, you know, One more, more like, time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, and I'm sorry. I have the, the bark machine in the back going off every once in a while. Well, <laughs> since since my walls have been stripped after the flood, I'm I'm down in what used to be my soundproof podcasting <laughs> studio, but now you can hear the air conditioner cutting on and off. So uh, I apologize to our listeners for that, but, uh, <laughs> but the, the sound of a doggy is that's a that, that's it's a, a it's we, a friendly sound. Yes, we hope that's a friendly <laughs> and happy sound, and not this hideous great machine roaring away <laughs> behind me. But. Uh, yeah, I, I for for me uh, the the person that who does the most remote work is is my Sophia is Elena Jordan, right? Which I and think is so poignant. I exactly, love, I love that. <laughs> yeah, we we really are separated by a vast distance, and uh, and yeah, what what I get uh, by on uh, in Dropbox is uh, a whole episode that she's recorded sort of in the blind. But she has an uncanny ability to um, imagine what the other, what her scene partner is saying, yeah. and how they're going to say it. It's a, a extraordinary talent that she has. Yes. And I always remember uh, one time where she had the last line in the episode, and she gave. When I was listening to her recording of it, she gave me a reading of it that was a really good, a strong and emotionally logical reading of the line. But then I could hear her say to herself because her her tape was still rolling she said wait a minute wait a minute it's the last line of the episode and so then she said it again <laughs> with a an almost melodramatic intent but but she was ex- her instinct was exactly right it needed right. to be the big punch because it the cliffhanger is you know the music is yeah, going to be coming yeah, absolutely and she knew it <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. I love that. Yeah, I always I, I make it a, a conscious decision. We I actually have started using the browser program writer duet to write because I was doing it on Google mm. Docs for a while and a couple of people in the Discord server were both in um had mentioned this program and I, I've been using it and it has this feature where you can export like all of one person's lines and I was like, oh, I could really use this to make everybody's lives easier. But I decided that I'd rather have everybody read the whole script because you need that context a lot of the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that they, they know what in the world they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm not familiar. And it sounds like I need to check this out. It's called... It's called Writer Duet. It's, Writer it's kind Duet. of cool. Yeah. It's, so it's it's a little bit like um, like Google Docs in that like everything is on the internet. Um but it's just made specifically for script writing. So it's really good about like autofilling character names and things like that. I've, I've actually really enjoyed it. Hmm. Well, I do need to check that out because I have tried writing radio scripts over the years and I've been doing this for 30 years um, with um, final, with the final draft uh, with fade in with all kinds of, you know, specialized software. And yeah. I keep, and I keep going back to word. I, I, it, I just find it, Easier to I mean, write, Word is certainly the most like customizable. <laughs> that's exactly. That's yeah. It. I was just uh, scrolling through my my tendril episodes today and uh, uh, noting that somebody at tendril loves puns, and uh, <laughs> that is Ryan. He comes up with all of the episode titles. I'm, despite the fact that I'm a writer, I am horrible at titles. <laughs> I can't come titles up with any titles for anything. 
Titling anything is hard. I, I tell my <laughs> students this. This is so much harder than you think it is. You know, you, you, <laughs> finding the right title that evokes what you're doing, you know, is so, uh, you know, that tells you in a few words what the play is about. Yes. You know, it's really, really hard. But, uh, but by having a, a sort of a jaunty, uh, jokey title, I think it, it communicates something about what's going to happen in the, in the episode. Yeah. Uh, so, so I really like that. I, you know, I committed to this, um, Dickensian joke from the beginning that all of my episode titles are going to be called in which something. Yes. You know, I sort of rem I remember that from it's now been, uh, unfortunately I don't, I don't have a uh, David Deere's tenacity to listen to the whole thing many times. Right. I, I already <laughs> struggle to keep up with all the podcasts I'm listening to now because oh, I only Lord. listen in the car. Um, but so many. I do remember the in which, which I, I love. I love, I really like that. It is Dickensian. I really like that sort of trope. <laughs> I, I have regretted it sometimes because I've gotten to the end of an episode and said, oh, this should be called, oh no, I already used that. Uh, <laughs> on the other hand, who cares? But do, uh, mm. So I started getting more plot points specific with it, which may yeah. or not, may not be, I try not to be spoilery, but you know. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Have you noticed that it's very difficult to write the summary that goes on iTunes where it's like yes. you have to be so vague? Yes. <laughs> well, yes. It always makes me think of back when TV Guide was on paper, back when TV Guide was a thing. That's how old I am. <laughs> that I remember wanting to see. I think see... they still hang out in some some hotel rooms. It's it's now a different format. But yeah. Um but when it was a weekly magazine that you got on the newsstand um, and, it, and they, and, and because there were only, you know, three major networks and PBS in the days I'm talking about, they could include a capsule description of each and every show that was going to be on the air. Oh, wow. And it wasn't just a log. So, but I, so I always looked ahead, but I remember a, a Star Trek rerun was coming on and I wanted to see which one it was, you know, and yeah. I know them all. So I wanted to see what's, what's the Star Trek this week. And it said, uh, Star Trek science fiction, 60 minutes. On an odd planet, Kirk and Spock encounter a strange creature. <laughs> I mean, they could have just copy-pasted that for every episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, that one. Yeah. <laughs> really hard. It's really, really Yeah. Hard. Yeah, it's difficult. I'm always like, I feel like I'm constantly using the phrase, our heroes. <laughs> in those. And I'm like, oh, this is so cheesy. <laughs> Well, but but your show does at least have that sort of, uh, uh, hey, we're going to tell you a story now kind of um, uh, uh, set up in the first place. So I think I think you've got the, the license to use that kind of language. You're, I hope so, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I would never say our heroes. Uh, oh, they're heroes, though, in their own right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did want to ask you, actually, uh, you have said many times in the many episodes I've listened to that I, you wanted to do the idea of like this long distance continuous phone call. Um, but what made you decide to make it this story? Like what was your inspiration for the story, like the plot of relativity? Oh, what a great, what a great question. Um, I did have a big point that I wanted to make and all of that will be disclosed in the, the last episodes. Ooh. It does have a, <laughs> a 
a plotted endpoint that's coming. Um, and this seemed to me like one, at least one way of getting to it, of a, of a logical way of getting to tell this big story. Um, and I am really concerned about our environment and about some of the choices we've made. So I yeah. really I wanted to tell a story in the not too distant future. I mean, the, the, these ships launch, if you've been listening to the show and you can sort of start putting things together, these ships launched in 2065. And in my mind, Chris is 45 years old. That means he's born next year. Wow. And in the time between now and then, the Earth has gone completely and irrevocably to hell. And I, I'm really worried that that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I think a lot of us are really worried. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you have a, a sort of almost political theme about the environment going into it. I think and it doesn't show up until pretty late in the show that they even really start talking about it. But yeah, it's... I, you know, I think that's a, that's super important to explore in science fiction, I, which I, I think is a genre that's... I work in a bookstore, I'm a bookseller, and mm -hmm. um, in the literary world, and I, I think for many people, science fiction is written off as like, oh, it's just like fun, um, you know, just, just fun, just like people who are weird read that. But science fiction, I think, is at its best when it does provide commentary on our on our world and on the state of things. And that's when it's at its best. So yeah. we we definitely consciously do that in Tendril a little bit through comedy. But yeah, I'm I'm really glad that that's that was your inspiration for it. That that was what pushed you to do this story. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 so great to hear you say that. I I keep saying we should form a network of the sci-fi fantasy. I think you know I did hear you say that, and I completely agree. And we need to organize this yesterday exactly. because I think it would be wonderful. But it, as different as they are, you know, you think about something like Ninth World or uh, or uh, Oz Nine for heaven's sake, or yeah, and and how different Tendril and Relativity are, and yet we keep coming back to talk about so many of the same things we're i think we're concerned about technology that gets ahead of people's wisdom to use it um the, the thing that i always think of is uh, uh, dr king's quote and he was talking about vietnam but but he said and about you know sort of the state of the world in the late 60s but he said we now have guided missiles and misguided men oh yeah and i think that's something that all of our shows end up talking about it to one degree or another and and I think that's fascinating. Um, and, and we all seem to be distrustful of big corporations. <laughs> yes, um, a common theme for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which reminds me, you, I, I have been wanting to ask you this for a long time. Uh, as a Shakespeare fan, I have to ask, you have a character's name who sounds to my ear like toil and trouble. On a second, Ryan. <laughs> You're not going to tell me that's an accident. <laughs> Do you know that toil and trouble sounds like toil and trouble? This is completely amazing. <laughs> yes, I did know this. I believe I've told you. I didn't realize okay. that. That's so good. <laughs> that is the point of that one. That was the point. All right. Well, I didn't know, but I that is incredible to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it makes her a witch. I mean, it's a, Oh, she certainly is. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought, wow, he's got a character who's a witch and her name is 
basically toil and trouble. That's yes. Yes, and I apologize to superstitious Shakespeare fans for quoting from the Scottish play, but yeah. Uh, well, we were, uh, my, my friend Kyle Jones and I were talking the other day about how many of our shows have, uh, well, I said annoying AIs in them. And now, the switch, switch is not annoying. No, not necessarily. She will be. <laughs> she, has, she has some things coming up that I'm sure will have fans clenching their fists in anger. But yeah. I, you know, I love AI um, as a thing in science fiction because it's so frequently just a commentary on what it means to be human. Yes. Um, like anything that the AI does is just commentating on the state of being human. Um, like I, I, I know you've talked about it a lot, but your AI in relativity is so sassy. And she, I mean, I've literally like laughed out loud sometimes at, at her tone, even though it's a synthesized voice. Right. Yeah. And, um, it's just bizarre. Yeah. We, we have a, another AI in Tendril, the, the ship AI, Yorona, um, yes. who is a, a take on the uh, Mexican La Llorona myth. <laughs> and um, she is certainly just like, just I, I feel like all of these ship AIs are like this. They're they're just always sassily interjecting when you least want them to, or when the characters least want them to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I can't remember who said this. It may have been Ken who in the last week's interview who said that it, it, they they have to function as foils for our other characters. So and that's probably why they all tend to have this sort of same character or the same personality flaw (laughs) is that it's just so that they can be antagonistic to our our heroes (laughs) but Um, it's like a friendly antagonism it is yeah and a a well-intentioned one (laughs) that's right they're just they're just doing their jobs robots doing their job i i love the movie ex machina boy yeah it's like for the listeners if you haven't (laughs) seen this movie you must yeah i was just about to say something about the end and i think i won't because yes yeah. <laughs> highly recommended though highly highly recommended yeah and, t- and talk about a focus story i mean like i i i i admire the wisdom of your focus on three characters and ex machina does that too yes, yes three characters well i mean you do that as well with the the two characters i mm. think it's important to strike a balance like i i think ensemble um, ensemble fiction can be really fun, but keeping it on just a handful of characters is really just sort of this tried and true, you know, this golden trio idea. Yeah, and you know, you you do that as well, though, starting with just the two, and eventually, yeah. I think you mentioned in a in an interview you posted in your RSS feed um, that you started to feel like. Chris and Sophia were sort of butting heads so frequently that you needed to add extra people to alleviate the tension. And I completely agree with that. And I think it was a fantastic choice. And I love the expanded cast because it just feels so, so natural. Just people who live in the world around Sophia. And I, I love like Marcus, I think might be one of my favorite characters. He's (laughs) He's great. Yeah, talk about people who are just doing their job, man. <laughs> For real. Yeah. Oh, he's just, just trying so hard. When you've got somebody you want to impress, you know, you'll do anything, right? <laughs> so I just especially your job yeah. really well. <laughs> right. 
see if the boss notices. <laughs> um, actually, speaking of careers in relativity, I was interested. So, like, Chris is this last person in the crew, and um, often in science fiction, I'd say it's maybe like 50 50, but like the doctor is portrayed as competent, but Chris is a doctor who is incompetent at space. Yeah. He doesn't want to be in space, or, or he does want to be in space, but he doesn't know how to be in space. Right. So what made you decide to make him a, a doctor specifically? I have always been fascinated by by medicine. I came very close to going into medicine myself and uh, uh, have been surrounded by doctors for one reason or another. I just I just know lots of people in those fields, and I, I have tremendous respect for for what they do. Uh, and but something that I have noticed, and it's not a criticism of them at all, that their focus on knowing everything that can possibly be right or wrong with the human body, you know, which is such a staggeringly huge amount of knowledge. If you're really good at that, you literally don't have the headspace to be good at anything else. <laughs> That's and, true. Uh, yeah. It's uh, I know I know physicians who are such brilliant diagnosticians, but other people are, are you know the the people who handle them are leading them around by the hand because they can't. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I said somebody <laughs> tied your shoes. Their brain is too big. To, right. Right. To I'm going to help see, you through yeah. the door here. <laughs> And, and I did think what what fun it would be to have somebody who joined the crew at the last minute, you know, because they needed a doctor and he wanted to get the hell away from the earth. And so they said, you know what, you uh, this is probably a mistake, but uh, OK, hop aboard because we got to go. <laughs> I was so excited to find out his backstory. Like, I think it's going to be real good. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Because, yeah, I, yeah, there is a reason why he said I'm leaving and I'm not looking back. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I, when I remember when I was doing the first few episodes, um, my wife said, I don't buy this. I don't buy that. They would let somebody into space like this who doesn't know how anything works. And, and he's talking back to mission control. They don't do that. Yeah. And they said, yeah, well, right now space travel is mostly a military endeavor. Yes. For the most part. Yeah. yeah. And, and if this was some kind of a commercial or private enterprise the rules would be different yes uh but she said but there's clearly a captain he mentions the captain right away so hmm, you know and and i said maybe maybe part of the fact that i've grown up as a space nut color some of this and i wonder how many of the listeners of the show the of the i'm happy to say the many many fans of the show they know that they're really there's lots of precedent for this the during during the early days of the space race um, in the 60s and early 70s, um, we weren't always told what was going on, you know? There's right. a lot of stuff about Apollo that we weren't told and that now is kind of public knowledge. But one of my favorite things to discover was that one of the first... Um, we had a little space station for a while. This, I'm guessing this was before you were born, called Skylab. And it was just kind of big enough for three people to, to be in and to, to, to work in and do experiments. And, and the first Skylab mission just went, just everything that could go wrong went wrong. Oh, wow. And we, what we were getting on the earth was that they have all these problems to deal with. And, you know, the astronauts are fatigued and they're having to work, uh, you know, round the clock to make these things work. And our heroic men in space later, what we learned was that NASA was saying, guys, 
this this stuff is going wrong and you got to fix it. Now, here's your agenda for the day. And it's a 20-hour day. Whoa. And after <sighs> a couple of days of this, the astronaut said, you know what? We're not doing it. I mean. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and I've it's, never know, heard of this. What, it's, it's, yeah, what look, a look great it up. Thing. Yeah, look, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and so ever since I've heard that, I thought, wow. Wouldn't it be great to be a fly on the wall as as we are in relativity and to hear what really happens? Somebody says, hey, you know what? Everybody appears to be gone but me and something has blown up and my captain just committed suicide. And so the <laughs> and mission control says, well, you're going to have to fix it. And he says, uh-uh, uh, I, I don't think so. What else you got? Because no. <laughs> yeah, way and too plus, much responsibility. Yeah, and plus I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I, I actually really appreciate that though how I thought it was very clever in the show how you know when he does actually have to fix things they're giving it to him step by step and it makes for such good audio drama <laughs> oh I always wonder about that oh oh thank you Katie oh goodness yeah <laughs> because that's the kind of stuff that fascinates me but I worry that nobody else cares but yeah I, oh I gosh, love it I was I was like, what a great way to get across what's happening. Because I have a, an issue where I have a very hard time listening to audio drama without a narrator. Tendril has a narrator. Um, I, I tend to do better listening to, to nonfiction podcasts, actually. Um, but Relativity was one of the first audio dramas that actually grabbed me for this reason. Because Chris is having to physically explain things. Yeah. And it just makes this setting so much more concrete than it tends to be in other audio dramas where it's just people talking with no narrator and it it just works so well i i really really am grateful for that's, for that that's so gratifying and i uh, i'll borrow from isaac newton this time who's who said if i've seen further than others it's because i've stood on the shoulders of giants Everything that I know about writing radio drama comes from listening carefully to thousands and thousands of hours of classic radio drama and radio comedy, uh, of which I'm an enormous fan. And I have a huge collection of these shows that I listen to over and over again. And, 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 and as I started trying to write radio drama, I, I realized one of the things I admire most about the shows that are easiest to listen to you know, and follow is that those writers could create could paint a scene without having a narrator tell us what's happening usually but by insinuating it into the dialogue in a way that makes sense for the characters right on the jack benny show he would shortcut by say oh here's the dentist's office i'll just turn the doorknob and go in you know and he would literally say i'm just going to turn the doorknob you know <laughs> But that was but that was a comedy show, and you know that right, was okay. Right. But it, but they, they just said, let's not fool with this. Let's just have him narrate his, you know, to talk out loud about his own actions. But um, for the most part, on the shadow, um, yours truly, Johnny Dollar, a Gunsmoke for heaven's sake, one of the best written shows, uh, radio shows ever, um, on and on from from that era. You could follow where they were in their mind because the sound patterns were so carefully selected and because characters would, because the writers had characters say things that established location um, and, and allowed the audience to catch up. Yeah. Um, 
very often you'll, you'll have two characters approach somebody and one of the characters will whisper to the other one something about the person they're about to go talk to. Oh, Dragnet. Dra they, the, the writers of Dragnet were masterful about this. It's why Joe Friday always had an assistant. His assistant would say, oh, tough looking dude. Uh, yeah, well, we'll see what he knows. You know? And then the guy comes up. We've already got a mental picture of him before he starts right. talking. And uh, I was just telling somebody about this the other day. I've noticed that the sound of drawing a gun doesn't make any noise per se. Ooh. So in the detective dramas, very often you'd have somebody say, uh, um, you know, well, I'm afraid you're going to come with me and you're going to have to come with me. And the other person says, I don't think I am. Well, so we think, you know, okay, why did they say that? Now the detective's got to say something like, well, that's a big gun for such a little girl. Here, give me that before, <laughs> you know. Yeah. They had to comment on it in some way. Right. Yeah, in you a know. very organic way, which is which yeah. can be very difficult to figure out how to do. So I'm always we, looking for things like yeah. that, for, for ways to, yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. It, it works very well. You've done a, a very great job with it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I guess we almost cheat in Tendril with the, the heavy narration. <laughs> My world is a, my world, meaning relativity, is, is kind of a prosaic one. We all have an idea of what the inside of a spaceship looks like. Yes. So probably everybody's konyechny in their mind is is different from everybody else's. And and if we, you, you know, made a movie of it, everybody would go to it and say, that's not what the konyechny looks like. <laughs> and, and, and we know what mission control looks like. I think generally speaking, people already have an idea in their heads about what these things look like. But Tendril takes us to places that we've never been. And we have, if you have, you have one of your central characters who looks like nothing on earth, <laughs> you know, except for maybe a giant green octopus. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Yeah. It does help with the, the alien you, descriptions a lot. <laughs> you really need some help. I think you need to have a narrator. It's just, and I really like him too, and I think that's interesting. But I, I had a, took an instant dislike to him in the first episode. I said, "Oh, this guy," and uh, <laughs> I really, really warmed up to him. I just think, "Oh, oh this guy! Oh, I love it." But do, do you know what I mean, though. <laughs> yes, I do. I know of, exactly. Yeah, uh, I, I'm glad to hear we have a Cronus stand out here because, <laughs> because honestly, like he he was. Uh, in the tabletop game, he was played by my my brother, and my brother is such a quiet person. He, you know, speaks in mostly two or three word sentences. Sure. So it was like, oh gosh, how are we gonna write Cronus? <laughs> like, how are we gonna give Cronus like things to say and do? Um, so I'm glad that somebody likes him. I love him. I think he's yeah. a, a fun character. And that voice is, uh, how do you say his first name? The oh, actor. Tehran. He says Tehran, yeah. Yeah. Who is also Kid Tall. He's also a hip-hop artist, Kid Tall. Yes. And, um, yeah, he, he, he has a remarkable voice. He's, uh, yeah, this. just incredible. This deep and expressive. We actually have him playing a, another character in the episode coming up, I believe. And he just changes so entirely that I was like, is this... The same guy? Can't be too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it sounds like we're, we're not going to talk about Eric. Uh, oh, my gosh. It? Eric is incredible. <laughs> and so, you say his last name, Mio? Oh, Mayo. Mayo. Yeah. And yeah. it's spelled M-E-O. Yeah. Yes. Eric Mayo. Because yes. Cade, I think, is sort of our, for most listeners, he may be our entry point of the story, right? He. Yes, that was the intent. Okay. Because he, because his, it's, it's that synthesis of script and performance, of course. The things that he 
he's a new recruit, so we get to learn things through him as he, as he comes along. But his voice is very um, reassuring. It's very welcome. He feels like a member of my family. Aww. And so I, I come to the show and I want to, I want him to be okay. Yeah. He's, he's definitely like a, a young sort of punk <laughs> where he, he's um, sort of just like stumbling around and trying to figure out like what he's doing. One of, one of my favorite moments is in the third episode when Cronus <laughs> yells at him. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of my, my favorite moments to write <laughs> because it was, it was like, I really think it sort of created a sympathy for Cade, but also really, really pointed to how immature he was being at the same time. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we in that moment, we got to kind of be on Cronus' side, but he, also, wouldn't you be scared to death of Cronus? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and Eric is one of those where you talked about how Elena, like, reads your script exactly how you imagined it. Oh. Eric is that way for us everything that comes out of his mouth like ryan will be like listen to this take and i'll be like oh he's so good yeah <laughs> well uh, he's he's he has sort of a, a classical training right he's i know he's he's done shakespeare in london and he, yes. and he did uh, second city and things so, like that so yeah pretty much everybody in the tendril cast who is not me has had formal training in acting um oh, so who do you think you are <laughs> I'm just the I'm just the writer. <laughs> exactly. Just the, writer the writer of the switch. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't guess that uh, y- you were the performer who hasn't had uh, <laughs> formal training because uh, you know you, you've managed to make that character uh, oh, interesting and you. nuanced. I think. And, uh, yeah. And you know, I was looking at, at your bio, and I saw that you actually have a, a background in in stage plays as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That is so wonderful. So were you, would you say you were like an actor or a writer first or did it go hand in hand? Uh, yeah. Or C, D, all of the above. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I have nine years of, of theater training to be an actor and a director. And at the end of which I said, I'm going to be a writer because, <laughs> um, be, because seriously, uh, I, I don't, I don't have classic leading man, good looks and, People were telling me really bluntly, <laughs> um, you do know you're always going to be somebody's dad, right? Wow. You're, you're always going to be the butler or or whatever. Or maybe Sherlock Holmes, somebody said. And I said, say that again? Because <laughs> I was losing interest there. But now we're talking. And I wrote for myself a, a Sherlock Holmes play. And... Um, that um, that became the show that I, I went to, to off Broadway with, and uh, oh wow, that's incredible! Yeah, yeah, and one of the people I got fan mail from about that script was Isaac Asimov. Wow, so, yeah. that's so neat! Oh my goodness! Yeah, I was, and so so yeah, I mean, I've always been either on stage or or, or in the audience because I wrote it or something for for nigh on to forty years now. And, um, but not, yeah, but usually not comfortable on stage, usually very body conscious, very, um, I don't know, just aware that I don't have the look or, you know, good stage movement or something. And my golly, Orson Welles was right. He said, the camera is your judge. The microphone is your friend. 
Oh, I love that quote. Behind the mic, you and I can be anybody we want to be. Very true. Yeah. What was your um your sort of springboard into doing voiceover work? Um, I was the head writer for a while of a radio drama series um, that was uh, funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and the University of Alabama at Birmingham School of Public Health. Um, I'm so glad you asked me about this because I've thought about doing a, a, an episode just about this. Oh, wow. <laughs> so okay. It is really, but this is a true story. Um, it, it was it was using entertainment education. It was using audio drama as a tool for um, getting an audience interested in what might otherwise be a boring topic, which is about um, health issues, particularly those uh, afflicting uh, African-American community in, in Alabama. And that's where I was at the time. Um, and so we had this this uh, this rich cast of African American characters, some of whom are eating right and exercising, and some of whom are not. And as the show went on, um, it uh, it showed you know the people who weren't um, <laughs> eating right and exercising, they started having all these health problems. So it was all based in this in the reality, the the sad reality of these problems. But we got to use drama, and we and it wasn't always just talking about that. Of course, we got to have interesting sidelines to keep the story uh, fascinating, and we did four seasons of that. And oh, the wow. home base where the women always kept coming back to to talk about things was a beauty salon called Body Love. So the show was called Body <laughs> Love, which always sounded to everybody I described it to like like we were making porn. But right, uh, <laughs> I swear to God, it's about diabetes. I promise you. Okay, y'all. Just drop whatever you're doing and turn up your radio, because it's time for Body Love. But yeah, and as I wrote, and we'd get into recording these episodes of Body Love, and, you know, uh, it would be, you know, a day before the show needed to go out, we were still mixing, and they'd say, we're missing a voice. You know, we need uh, this white dude, you know, and I said, (laughs) okay, here I go, and into the studio I would go, and so I was, you know, white dude number one, and... (laughs) And so over the the course of the show, I was, you know, you know, man behind the counter. You know, I was, uh, you know, uh, the policeman who comes to the scene of a crime, you know, the um, the, the building inspector who comes, you know, uh, the the doctor in a hospital and so on and so forth. So uh, and I really enjoyed that because I I, I started practicing. uh, Well, I didn't want them to all sound like me. Right. Yeah. Did you do distinct voices for each one? I did my very best. And uh, I was a cop in in one in the the show's stunning climax, and I decided that this guy was transplanted to wherever the hell they were from New York. So I got to be a New York City cop. Let's get a level, Miss Walker. Say something. What do you want me to? Oh, oh. Perfect. And with that little earbud, you should be able to hear me now. Am I coming through all right? Yeah, I can. I can hear you great. And it would seem we've arrived. Now, do you remember your code word in case there's trouble? Oh. Oh, Lord. Now that we're here, I... Uh... Basketball, Miss Walker. Basketball. But don't say that word unless you want a bunch of cops to come busting into the restaurant. Oh. And, and I had great fun with that. So, yeah, that's that's all in my demo reel now. But, uh, <laughs> golly. Well, it, it, have you got... Have you got any other questions for me or anything else? That- yes. So I, I did write down notes to bring on. So I have... Good, I was about to say, well, this has been fun. So I... <laughs> Yeah, so I, I do have a theory that because everybody's been dropping their hot takes and their theories and I need to drop mine. 
So I predict that Chris must hold the key for coming up with the super future rabies cure. Mm. Somehow I'm convinced. Um, I was actually really surprised listening to these interviews, how many people had had very specific uh, theories about why the people were frozen in the mm -hmm. freezer. Because yeah, I hadn't thought of a theory. I was like, oh, the guy's just crazy. He just did it. Yeah. He just put those guys in the freezer. And that's like, you know, he wanted to kill them. <laughs> yeah. So that works. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they are now dead in the They're, freezer. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's, of course, the the you must remain connected question. I actually tried to do some hardcore Googling today, and I the only reference to the phrase you must remain connected, and this was on the work computer, which, you know, whatever, I was at work. But um, I, so this has no, like, internet history of me looking at your website or anything. The only things that came up were relativity and, like, one pdf of a religious book <laughs> and Interesting. those were the only results for the phrase you must remain connected yeah. so i'm stumped um but i i've sort of noticed that like in in some of these interviews the phrase hard science fiction has kind of been tossed around yes and um hard science fiction to me is such a interesting concept because like tendril what i write is sci fantasy i just yeah. go oh whatever it it does the cool science fiction thing because because yeah. it's cool to do. And yeah. I I was wondering how much do you consider your show to be hard science fiction? Do you did you perform a, a lot of research for like the relativity compensator or how much did you just kind of throw into the mix and just it functions like it should? Yeah, no, it, it's a great question. I really did spend a lot of time researching what people have thought of over the years about what a, um, well, even what generation ships might look like, how they might work. Um, but certainly what, if you were gonna have people in space for some, you know, ungodly long time, 20 years or whatever, as in relativity, what what would those ships look like? How, how, how would they work and so on? And this whole idea of transplanting um, Various multiple species, like having a a, a, a forest right. in your in your spaceship and things like that, and and there's been a lot of uh, pretty serious science written about that in the in the past. So I tried to read even before I got started as much about that as I could. I I wanted all that to at least make sense, even if it's not ever going to be feasible. Right. Um, there there. I, f I finally figured out that they are traveling at 0.8% uh, of the speed of light. Uh, that's eight, eight tenths of the speed of light or, or four fifths. Um, are we ever going to be able to do that without killing everybody on board? Um, who knows? Really? Yeah. Who the hell I've knows? read, I've read a lot of, what? a lot of people that say absolutely not. No, <laughs> yeah. but I, but I did want to, I didn't want them to be surpassing the speed of light. So I wanted everything to stay inside the Einsteinian universe and to have to deal with the fact that, well, one of the things that's going to happen before the show is over, if, if we're going to arrive at the new world, we're going to have to not only move into the future, but when we get to the end of, the, of Konyechny's mission, when they drop out of the compensator field, 20 years are going to have passed for Chris, but it's going to be 50 years have passed on the Earth. Yeah. And that that is so... when. 
when it was finally explained the concept of the of the relativity compensator, I was yeah. very um, just sort of thrilled at like the the originality of this idea and that you're in a bubble where you're experiencing time in a different way from the people outside of the bubble and almost like rubber banding like it creates yes. like a really incredible image um and i'm so glad you love that but but it, it, I'm, and i'm glad you brought it up in the context of, of hard sf and science fantasy because i think that's where the show crosses into science fantasy because that is because i created that solely for the purpose of being able to facilitate the story I, I don't understand how there could be any kind of real physics that would make such a thing possible. Yeah. It's just BS. But it, <laughs> Right. Um, yeah. You don't want to spend forever just talking about the science of it all. No. You just want to move the story forward. That's the fun part. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it's been interesting uh, hearing people talk about the, the metaphysical versus the reality. And yeah. because I, I do consider like science fiction as, and especially with science fantasy elements to be so anything goes almost mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, to the point where I feel like anything you could come up with for the you must remain connected thing or it really the ending you know it's it's going to be I feel like doing a metaphysical type ending wouldn't be disappointing you know, there's just so many ways that it can be taken. And I don't know, that's just part of the fun of the sandbox of sci-fi. Well, that's right. Yeah, I, I love that. The sandbox of sci-fi. It's it's true. I I, I think I, I like David Deere's point that there is, if, you, if you've written everything in, in sort of a hard SF way, and then suddenly uh, on on page 100 of 100 <laughs> you know suddenly you know that the answer is it was angels or they're in hell or something like that <laughs> then I, and then they woke up and then they woke up as even worse <laughs> yeah I, I thought no then i think you violated your contract with the audience yes that you spent all this time building but that doesn't mean that there isn't room for bigger concepts than were apparent before right and so i don't know and it, i don't know I, it's so funny hearing people saying what they think the phrase refers to, where I thought it, I, for me, it was like immediate, I was like, oh, obviously, they're saying that Chris and Sophia must remain connected to each other. Mm -hmm. And I, I was like, oh, that's not what everybody thinks. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Yeah. No, but I, I, it seems like that's got to be at least part of it. But they are connected. Yeah. They they have a they have a a stream of electrons or or, or quantum entanglement or whatever it is that has them talking to each other constantly. Right. So, but the word there is remain. Yes. So, yeah. Are these voices saying, "Okay, good. Now stay like that." Yeah. I mean, or, it didn't start until they started talking to each other, right? So. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I promise, though, I promise there's an explanation for this. I just. Well, I can't wait to hear just... it. I can't believe there's only 10 episodes left. Well, I've started rethinking that, honestly. I, yeah? I really have. Yeah. Because, it's... for one thing, as I'm scripting it, I find that I'm rushing to get to the end and I don't want to rush it. Right. 
Yeah. Have you considered like doing longer episodes maybe? Uh Uh-huh. And I've thought about uh, also having, who says they have to be 10 episodes? Maybe this last season is going to have 20 episodes. Yeah. I can't wait to see whatever it is you decide to do. (laughs) And the next tendril is coming out soon, it sounds like. Our next arc will begin on, on July 3rd. And then it'll be back to our regular two-week schedule from there. That's The dog thinks that arc is something to eat. <laughs> the dogs are very excited about the next arc. They did a say. Your <laughs> they biggest think fans. it's really good. <laughs> if people want to uh, find out more about Tendril the Banshee Chronicles, and who wouldn't, how, how do they go about doing that? Um, so you can find us on tendrilpodcast.com. We are available on all iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. Um, and also on Twitter at Tendril Podcast. And what do they get if they support you on Patreon? So if you support us on Patreon or if you leave us an iTunes review complete with words. Uh, yes. <laughs> and not just stars. Yes. Just we, pushing the button doesn't count. We um, will write a little a cameo for you in our quote unquote ad break because we don't have ads yet hopefully we will one day um but we will write a little cameo for you within the tendril universe and you will become a canonical uh resident of the tendril universe such as lee was yes Relativity is now forever within Tendril. Katie, this has been so much fun. This I, has I, been I, wonderful. Just talk and talk and talk. And uh, and I doubt anybody's listening to this anymore. But, uh, <laughs> but we've had fun, my golly. <laughs> <laughs>